Welcome to the Meet St. Louis podcast, where we take you inside your favorite restaurants and breweries and introduce you to the people making this such an incredible city to live in. I'm your host, Alexis Zotos with KMOV. This week, you might not know this man's name, but you've definitely seen his handiwork. Like a lot of people growing up, Tommy Meyer wanted to be a professional ball player when he grew up. He went to college and was playing baseball there, but he got injured and was forced to look at a different path for his future. Well, we have that injury to thank for some of the most iconic restaurants in St. Louis. Tom is the owner of Space Architecture and Design, and his company does a lot of work, a lot of different kinds of buildings and projects, but restaurants are Tom's passion. We sat down at his office in the Grove neighborhood, uh, a building that they renovated from a dilapidated old tape factory. We talked about innovation and the desire to leave a lasting impression on a building, but more importantly, a community. We also talk about a lot of the fun projects that they have coming up. So let's meet Tom. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Great. Um, so tell people, if they're not <clears throat> familiar with the name of Space Architects, they've probably seen your work around town. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> you guys do a lot around town, from residential to commercial. Uh, give us some examples of places that people have seen your work. Well, I would say most people probably have seen it work in restaurants, right? I mean, that, that's uh, it's a public's place, and uh, everybody can go to it. So uh, that's probably what most people are familiar with. But we, you're right. I mean, we've done a lot, just like Steel Wheels, the place where you work out. I mean, we did that. We do uh, a lot of residential. Um, some of it, most of it modern. We don't do, like, spec homes or anything like that, but uh, usually just custom renovations for homes, additions, and things like that, some ground up. Do you have a favorite, whether it's residential or commercial? Project type? Yeah. I do, yes. Uh, it's restaurants. Okay. Yeah. That's Why is what that? I love to work on. Well, a couple of reasons. One, um, it's always a challenge because uh, the restaurant owners typically come with a budget that is lean, uh, but yet they, they need an atmosphere, right? They need a place where people can come and feel good. So that's a challenge, and uh, they're all different. You know, they all want to do, they all want their own vibe. And uh, so that's um, always pushes us to, you know, different levels. And uh, and a lot of times, you know, with restaurants, we're, we're doing uh, additional work beyond design. We're doing fabrication of specialty elements, uh, whether it be furniture or just uh, elements that uh, coordinate with the architecture. So that's uh, even more fulfilling. How does it work? If a restaurant comes to you, I mean, how much of an idea do they bring to the table versus what you guys then create and um, develop for them right. in terms of a vision? Yeah, well, it uh, it varies with everyone. As you can imagine, some of them come super organized. They've got their branding down. They've got their menu figured out. Uh, they've got their building, and, th- and they're just looking for somebody to help them, you know, create the physical uh, embodiment of what they're looking for. And others come, and they just don't, they just know that uh, I'm going to open a restaurant. It's going to be this uh, this kind of food, and that's, you know, I need you guys to help me with the rest of it. And so both of them are, are interesting challenges, and, uh, you know, we, we love it all because it's always 
the challenge. It's always the problem and then the solution, you know, that comes with it. So, um, how much does the space itself influence your design? I mean, some of these new restaurants that I know you guys have worked on, um, you know, they're a little bit more challenging structures. They're maybe older. Um, can you kind of talk to us about that process of when you look at the space and where you go from there? Yeah. So, um, so, so restaurants, uh, when you're, when you're evaluating a building for a restaurant, um, there's a lot of things that come into play besides the ambiance, right? Because like it can be most restaurants, they're cooking. And so they have to have a way to exhaust that out. So some of these structures are easier than others in in terms of getting that exhaust out. And that can be like a huge money factor for, so I always recommend to, to, uh, potential clients. It's like, Hey, before you sign that lease, let me come out and look at it because we have a whole list and we've been doing this long enough. We have a whole list of things that we have a check off, right? You know, we're like, you know, how easy is it for HVAC? How, what's the accessibility? Can you get into the building or is it going to need a ramp? All these things that can impact uh, the budget is what we, we try to think about. Uh, I personally love to, um, adapt buildings just like we did with our building you you know it it was maybe designed for one use and maybe it's uh you know that use is gone and uh it's just sitting vacant and a lot of these older buildings as we all know uh they can be beautiful they've got taller ceilings they've got brick walls they've got heavy timber ceilings all these things that uh, what we call good bones, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. Um, and then the, there's other buildings that, uh, frankly, are more of a challenge. And I'll give you a good example, Narwhals. Mm-hmm. So Narwhals bought, um, or they leased a space in a historic building, uh, which had a lot of constrictions to it, the, especially because it, it, uh, they were going for historic tax credits because that, that can be very limiting on what you can do with the in, inside uh, and as well as the outside of that building. But what it did have is character, right? It had a had some high ceilings, had some beautiful big windows um, that had detail to them. It wasn't just a big storefront. It had like, you know, windows that had uh, wood framing and mullions and things like that that just give it some of that detail and uh, had brick walls and uh, things like that that uh, it's like, okay, you know, we're going to use this. We don't have to do anything with this, mm-hmm. so we can use that as a feature. Whereas the Norwell space that they're going to now that we've been working on for several months now, going out the streets of St. Charles, that's a brand new building. And uh, the structure is done with steel bar joists and corrugated metal decking. And it has a brand new concrete floor, which is nice, uh, but it's got, you know, brand new walls that are drywall. And uh, so with those kind of projects, it can be more of a challenge and because especially Norwell's has that aesthetic now that they've created at their... Um, location sort of near the SLU campus. So you kind of have to bring that into the new yeah. space. You want to follow the brand, right? The brand was kind of created with this original concept. And so you, you need to bring at least aspects of that so that there is continuity between the locations. Uh, but it's a bit of a challenge and it's uh, sometimes harder to get that character in without spending more money. So, so let's talk about your guys' building here. Uh, you're located in the Grove. Uh, when did you open up here? Uh, we bought this building in 2009. Mm-hmm. It's a vacant building. Hadn't been used in probably at least a decade uh, or more. Did that scare you away at all? No. Uh, <laughs> we were, you know, it's like ignorance is bliss. Uh, we we got it for a good price. We got it before the Grove went crazy. Right. So yeah, uh, what was all here when you first moved in? Not much. Uh, so Atomic Cowboy was here. Uh, Just John's uh, attitudes. Uh uh, five was down the way, Five Bistro, uh, which has since moved. Um, 
what else? Uh, but nothing I like mean, it is uh, now. Nothing like it is now. But the bigger factor is uh, the sidewalks uh, hadn't been repaired. It's like it was hard to walk down the sidewalk because they had heaved and cracked and holes and... Uh, there was no pedestrian lighting. There was none of that. And uh, But we did know, I mean, one of our deciding factors was hearing the fact that uh, the city had a, had a funded program that was going to take place that all the, from Kings Highway to Vandeventer, all the sidewalks are going to be redone, all new pedestrian lighting. And so that really gave us a clue. It's like this place is going to be much better than it is now. And so we can take a gamble on it because, like I was telling you earlier, as architects, we like to um, have an impact on the community. We like to be a part of a renewal. Uh, and, and so this building really represented, um, you know, we, we took this building that was on a fairly prominent corner. I mean, we're just between Rise and Atomic Cowboy. We're really right in the heart of the Grove. And, and uh, this building was just a big brick building that was just deteriorating and, and uh, you know, falling apart practically. So... We looked at this like, man, we, we can redo this corner and make this building look beautiful. That is going to encourage others to maybe do the same thing. Right. And you've done a lot with it. You said it was like an old tape factory was, and lots uh, of different things. Yeah. The only reason why we figured that out is because as we were cleaning the building, we uncovered this painted sign that was on the building that said WRM Tape Company. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> so what are some of the unique features that you guys have kind of brought into this old building sure well there's plenty uh <laughs> for first off you know we got historic tax credits and brownfield tax credits which you know as you can imagine in 2009 um everything was starting to fall apart economy wise uh including our business uh, we, you know we were we definitely were having um fewer calls and things like that but our lease was up and we needed to do something and uh, we really just kind of charged into this. Uh, if we would have thought about it too long, we probably wouldn't have done it, right? <laughs> right. But uh, you know, that's that's part of um, that's part of what we do is uh, we're we're not really risk adverse. We 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 take gambles and we uh, we go for it when we think it's the right decision. So. We got the building, and uh, we, we were able to get, um, you know, the uh, the tax credits, which helped us a lot. Uh, we were very much uh, wanting to uh, to do a sustainable building, not necessarily LEED, because, I mean, LEED is, a, uh, is great. Uh, it's a lot of paperwork, and it was a lot of time and effort that would go into that where we wanted to uh, – we were scrapping it ourselves. We were the developer. We were the architect. We were the general contractor on this building. So um, – we just wanted to focus all of our, our energy uh, and our money, what we had, uh, into the building. So uh, we started working with a company called Arctic Solar, uh, who was talking to us about alternative energy. And so we had, we had kind of uh, took $25,000 out of our budget and said, we're going to dedicate 25000 to making a sustainable statement of some kind. But we didn't want it to just be like, oh, we're going to put a wind turbine. You know, we're going to do something that's just for show. We wanted to be real. And so we started working with this uh, solar company that uh, initially um, we were we were going to do a, uh, a radiant heated floor when we realized we were going to we were going to pour a new um, concrete floor to encapsulate uh, the uh, the lead paint that that uh, that was all part of the brownfield credits, so we were able to get that in as part of encapsulation, and so we thought it's a perfect opportunity to put a radiant heated floor in, which um, 
and then that uh, led to the geothermal wells, uh, which in turn led to like, okay, we've got the floor, we've got the heat covered, but what are we going to do about the cooling? Because what we don't want to do is have a big forced air system in here when we've got you know, the radiant heat of floor. So what else can we do? So we worked with an engineer, uh, his name was Uli and, uh, from Germany, and uh, he was a great guy, funny guy to work with. But uh, we collaborated with him on what can we do for a cooling system. And initially, uh, it was going to be like big steel plates hung from structure that had like water pipes strapped to it. And then it was the same kind of principle as what we have in terms of like we're running cold water through it. That's going to make the metal get cold, which in turn is going to absorb heat as it rises. And you were mentioning this is an incredibly unique system. It's, there's, it's the only one like it in the world, truly, because uh, it was designed and built here on the premises. So, And it was really um, because after he proposed, well, we'll hang all the steel plate. If you remember, walking through our studio, we've got this beautiful wood ceiling, right? So that was all going to be covered up with steel. We're like, boy, we hate to cover up this beautiful structure. So what else can we do? And that's when we came up with this kind of cooling fin design that allows air to move through it because it all really boiled down to um, heat absorption surface area. I think I got that right because Uli was like, he hated it when we called them cooling fins. He had a specific name that he wanted. Yes, because he goes, they're not cooling fins, (laughs) they're absorbing heat. Okay. He was very particular on that. I was like, <laughs> all right, I remember it now. So, yeah, we're able to design these fins, which didn't cover up all the wood ceiling, and, and kind of makes an interesting statement. You know, mm-hmm. it works around the perimeter of the room. You can hear, you probably won't. I was going to say, I mean, if people hear. can hear the, the water, the, it almost sounds like a rain garden. Yeah. That's like, what we're hearing. That's our water feature, yes. And, and so we could bleed that air out of there, but so many people have said, oh, I like to hear those bubbles. Yeah, uh, they're it's relaxing. Nice. It's <laughs> a bubbling brook, right? It's like so, a spa. Yeah. So we leave them in. So and, uh, are you seeing more and more of your clients looking to do uh, more sustainable buildings? Or is that not as common? Um, Yes. Uh, So uh, we do see it. There's always a desire to do it. And often there's not a budget to do Mm -hmm. it. And that's that's usually what it comes down to is what can you do uh, with the budget that we have? What can you do to make this a more energy efficient building? And what we always go to is like the best thing that you can possibly do for your building is to give it a really solid envelope. Seal out the cold, seal out the heat, uh, and then you will have less work for your system. And so that's usually what we gravitate to. Um, and, you know, most of the projects that I work on are restaurant projects. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so while there is some, you know, certainly using certain materials, recycled material, things like that uh, is great. Um, I'm always a believer in... If you build it right, if you build it with quality and you build it to where it's a more timeless design, there will be less of a need for someone to renovate it mm-hmm. later. And renovation is a huge energy suck, right? I mean, it, that that's just the demolition. And People the don't really think about that. The There's like this they one don't. idea of like sustainable solar panels, things like that. But it's... There's right. so much more to what makes something sustainable. There is. And if so if you make a beautiful space that doesn't need to be changed and that can go on for a long time, I mean, that that's energy saving. You're doing your part right there. And so a great example of that is uh, a couple of examples now. But Franco, I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember Franco. Yeah. So it was like one of my favorite projects we've ever done uh, down in Soulard. And it was a great, it was a, it was a really uh, a nice design. It was one of our first restaurant projects. And... So 
So when they, you know, they went 10 years, which was a great run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, they closed down and somebody else leased it. And I was like, man, I wonder what they're doing with those curved ceiling panels that we had put in there. And sure enough, they kept them. And they kept everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like that to me, that's like a compliment. Like, oh, okay. So, um, well, they maybe their budget <laughs> didn't, maybe the budget didn't allow it. But also they were pleased enough with the space that they didn't feel it had to change. And another example, uh, just recently, Publico, you mm-hmm. know, uh, which was another one of my favorite restaurants. R.I.P. Uh, yeah. Um, I was there for the last meal. Mm-hmm. And uh and I talked to uh, Liz Randolph when I was there because I was asking about, you know, we had these trees. Uh, I don't know if you've been to oh, Publico, yeah. but, you know, we had these trees that we made in our shop that was kind of s- symbolic of, of uh, some of the brand. And uh, I was like, so what's going to happen with those trees? Because I was going to, like, if, if they're going to, you know, end up going into a dumpster, please give them yeah. to me because I'll find a use for them. And um, she said, actually... It looks like there's an, some kind of Asian restaurant that's going to take this over, and they want to keep all of that. Oh. They want to keep the trees. I was like, all right, well, that's yeah. – I like that. That's great. Again, a compliment to that yeah. you've created a design that not only people enjoy, but that can be repurposed. Right, right, without any energy being spent on it. So. Right. Uh, where do you draw your inspiration? I mean, is it – from the space? Is it from the menus? I mean, where does the inspiration come from? Well, a lot of it comes from the client itself. I mean, they, because they, they usually, these clients, are, you know, it could be their life savings. It could be like just this big dream that they've had for a long time. So that's it's pretty inspiring because, I mean, especially if we're talking about restaurant projects, uh, everyone knows that uh, it's a huge risk, right? Most restaurants, or maybe half of the restaurants, don't make a pass a year. And so you know that these people have courage uh, and uh, they have dreams. And to me, that's like really inspiring. So it inspires me to want to make whatever they have to work with the best it can possibly be. And um, so we draw a lot from that. I mean, I uh, if you look at our designs, even though our designs look different from restaurant to restaurant or project to project, um, we're using many of the same materials. They're just detailed differently or finished differently. But like, I am a fan of natural materials. Uh, I like wood. I like glass. I like steel. I like concrete. Um, those are durable, sustainable projects or uh, materials that that last a long time. And uh, also, so it makes them a little bit timeless, and and that they're just materials that uh, people can relate to. And um, they're not the latest trend. Have you always been design oriented? I mean, was this always what you wanted to do? <laughs> um, no, oh. actually not. I was not one of those architects that, uh, you know, uh, started in grade school, you know, drawing buildings. That sure. was not me. Um, I um, I wanted to be a baseball player. No, of course. <laughs> okay. <all right. laughs> you know, and that's what I thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played a lot of baseball, uh, went to college, uh, uh, but then I hurt my arm mm-hmm. and uh, that dream like vanished. And uh, so I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And uh, so my grandpa had always says, you get a jo- you get your engineering degree yeah. and I'll set you up at Anheuser-Busch and you'll be set for life. Okay. Because he had worked there for 45 years. Like, well, that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like Anheuser-Busch <laughs> and uh, let's see if I like engineering. So sure. I went into engineering and I found out I did not like engineering oh, at okay. all. <laughs> It was super boring. Um, and I went a semester and I was like, this cannot be. And I didn't, uh, I mean, I'm okay at math, but I didn't like the, the higher level of math. That it's was kind required. of important for engineering. In engineering, I was like, this is not me. And so literally, 
this is how I decided on what I was going to be. I went into the career planning office, mm-hmm. and I started looking through their file to see what what careers did not involve as much math <laughs> okay. as engineering. <laughs> Could have right? come to journalism. We had no math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, maybe I just hadn't made it to, uh, I made it to architecture. So maybe if I made a J, I could have been a journalist. You but, could have uh, been. Um, no, I, I, uh, I landed on architecture and I was like, well, that's interesting because I have always like building things, mm-hmm. like a building forts, like uh, our yard, you know, I always had like, I was building things and uh, they weren't the best looking things, but I just like to build mm-hmm. things. And uh, I thought, well, maybe that could be interesting. And then I noticed that uh, Kansas State, uh, had a, a reciprocal agreement with Missouri that uh, was going to make you mad, but I think I paid $450 a semester. Oh, my God. Not exaggerating. It's more like make my dad mad <laughs> as he listens and yeah. thinks about those student loans. <laughs> so that, yeah, I I, uh, I think I graduated and I had $1,400 in student loans. Oh, geez. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did it at the right time, mm-hmm. I guess. But, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, gave me a great start on a career. And, I you know, I, I went out and did the thing that most college kids do. I uh, went out and got a job and, um, you know, started working for companies in architecture. And I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, and I should say when I... Do you remember I, your first... Thing that you designed or built yeah I was uh, I was working uh, on the legends uh, hotel out in um, Eureka Missouri mm. the first firm I worked for was Henry Jen Enderling uh, and uh, mr. Henry right Henry is still practicing today and uh, but yeah that's uh, that's the first project I worked on and it ended up not getting built mm. uh, it was for Don Breckenridge if you remember that name mm. um, but I worked on that and, uh, you know, worked on, I really have a, have a very big background in like office planning, corporate design, that type of thing. And it really wasn't until, um, I think my first restaurant was Il Vicino okay. in, in Clayton. Yeah. And then I did uh, Cafe Bellagio, which is now like Il Bellago. I didn't uh-huh. Cora. I did that one. And I was like, well, those are, those are pretty fun. I like doing that. And, uh, but I, I wasn't working for space didn't exist at that right. point. So then when space, uh, I decided, uh, I, I was doing a lot of moonlight work. I was kind of building up a client base. And uh, I had uh, finally got enough to where I was confident that I think I can leave and I can try to do this. Um, and then I ended up, um, I answered an ad in the paper. This, I digressed a little bit. I, I uh, <laughs> Uh, somebody was looking for a partner. I was like, well, a partner. Okay, that could be good because I don't want to work by myself. Also, an ad in the paper. That's a, that's a yes. thing of the past as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. That was a few years ago. Uh, but anyway, I went to work for him, and, uh, and that uh, was good. But uh, we were just like different people, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work out. And so I was like, ah, that's not going to work. Uh, so then I, worked, I, I went to another small design company. Uh, to be a partner, and uh, I was super naive at the time because I honestly thought, like, well, if I come to this company and I build up their business uh, after a year, they're just going to, like, give me partnership. Mm -hmm. They're just going to hand it to me, you know, because I deserve it, right? And it was so naive, Mm -hmm. and uh, so it got to the end of that first year, and I was like, well, I'm I'm, uh, ready to be a partner now. And so they gave me a, a proposal for a partnership, and it was like, I have to pay and uh i can only get like three percent ownership a year for like seven years and then i'm a, so i was like oh, that's not what i want and uh so i talked to an attorney he goes well what do you want and i said well i want i want to i don't know at least 50 percent he goes well ask him 
They're like, okay. <clears throat> so I went and asked them, and they fired me instantly. Oh. <laughs> All righty then. I was like, okay, well, it's time to start There's my new company lesson. now. <laughs> So uh, I started, that was 2005. They always say the worst that can happen is they say no, and I yeah. guess that's and what happened. no, and, yeah. and uh, it was absolutely the right decision mm-hmm. um, because uh, if I would have accepted it, uh, well, Front Space wouldn't be here, and I'd be forever a minority uh, partner in a firm, and uh, it wasn't that I was dying to, like, uh, be um, an equal partner or anything. It was more just I, I had a mission on what I wanted to do, and... Uh, so I probably should, it was just better off starting my own right. company to see if I could do it. And uh, so that was 2005 and uh, we started and, and uh, you know, mainly doing a lot of corporate work and some residential. And that's when 2006 is when we landed Franco. Mm-hmm. And uh, Franco was... Uh, was that kind just, of a turning point? It, it just, it really lit uh, a, a light bulb in my head about like, wow, this, this is nice. This is really fun. And it also did another thing that uh, really has, has made us different than most firms is that, so when we work with Tom Schmidt, you know, Salt and Smoke, that's Tom. And, and uh, so mm-hmm. we were working with him and um, the building, if you've been in the Franco space, you know that it's a Welsh baby carriage building and it has a beautiful, heavy timber ceiling, okay. beautiful yeah. wood ceiling, big, heavy beams. Um, but the problem was there was, um, there was apartments above. And mm-hmm. so there was all this white PVC pipe coming through the heavy timber ceiling and visible in the restaurant space below. And, uh, you know, this is like for kitchens and bathrooms and coming down. So mm-hmm. it's not something that you want to see or hear uh, right. when you're in the restaurant space. So he said, well, the contractor just wants to drywall the whole thing. And I was like, wow, that just seems like such a shame because you're going to lose all of all this, this character. beautiful character of the building. And so... Um, I said, let us try to design something for the $10,000 allowance that the contractor had to drywall the ceiling. Let us try to come up with something. And uh, so we went to work and we, we were, um, we came up with this design for this woven wood ceiling and uh, we drew it all up. And if you can imagine, you know, we have this architectural drawing with all these curves going, you mm-hmm. know, in the ceiling section cuts. And uh, it was probably intimidating to the contractor going, what the, what? you know, <laughs> what drywall this? ceiling would be a whole lot easier, right? <laughs> and so he said, that's $25,000 ceiling. And we're like, ah, oh, it's going to be cut. And uh, so, again, this is where we're not risk adverse. I, I said, Tom, I was like, I know what the material cost of this is. It's not difficult to get it up. Let us just do it. We'll mm. do it for 10000 And at that time, we didn't even have a shop. We just okay. wanted to keep it in the project. Interesting. So it was that then the point where you became more than just the design More than portion. just uh, uh, an architect. Mm-hmm. More than just, you know, somebody that draws things and hands them off. And, uh, because what it really did is, uh, uh, so we, we got it up, and it looked beautiful and it uh i don't think we made a dime on it but that wasn't the point right. i mean the point was that uh this is a signature element for the space and we think it's going to be a you know uh something that sets you apart mm-hmm. and uh so we kept it in there it did win an aa award which is like that's the like the highest award an architecture firm can for the architects. win yeah it it really is they're hard to win yeah, and that's most awesome. most of the projects that win Fifty million dollar budgets. Mm. You know, this was like this was a little restaurant, so it was a thrill for us. And but what it really uh, told us is that when we try to do something that's different, 
and we present it to a contractor that hasn't done it before, they're going to just stick a big number on it mm -hmm. because they don't really want to do it or they're just worried about doing it and, and being able to please the architect and not losing money on right. it. So to us, it was like, okay, this is an opportunity where if we can self-perform some of this stuff, we'll keep it in projects and our projects will be better for it. And um, so when we expanded, this is about 2008, uh, we were just out of room in our mm -hmm. original space. And, and uh, so we rented some space across the street and we set up a little a shop there, like a little 500 square foot shop that had a table saw in it and mm -hmm. some tools that we just like brought in from our homes just <laughs> so that we could just like, you know, yeah. uh, try to build and, and um that really set the stage for where we're at now. And you know, now you've got... have a much bigger shop, and uh, we have much more capability. Uh, we've invested a ton in, in the shop. And uh, it's not that um, we just... And, and really, it, it, it goes down to, like, everybody we hire. Uh, you know, we look for people that are not scared about... Uh, occasionally getting their hands dirty, mm -hmm. uh, going back into a shop and talking to fabricators directly on how they want to detail something. We want that's the kind of people that we want because uh, I think we're better architects for it because we we just have a better understanding of how things go together, uh, how to detail it. I think that makes so much sense. I mean, that's actually one of my my biggest pieces of advice is to interns at the station is that learn every job because mm -hmm. you'll just be better at the job that you choose. Yes. If you are a reporter, you're a better reporter if you know what your producer does, if you know what your photographers are doing. And mm -hmm. I imagine that's very similar to what you guys do. It is. It really is. And it's, and um, I mean, after we had been doing fabrication for a while, we started to get, uh, well, Zoe Robinson and uh, who else? We, we did another club called Club XO um, mm -hmm. on Locus. And they said, you're doing all this fabrication stuff. You ever think about just like managing the whole thing? You know, instead of just doing fabrication, just like manage all the construction. We're like, hmm, that's interesting. Hadn't thought about that. And uh, so we took a stab at it. We did it with Boba Noodle House. I don't know if you've ever been oh, to Boba. Yeah. And then uh, with XO Club, where we managed all the construction, we did all the fabrication for it, and uh, and we designed it all. And uh, to to me, that was another. That was like another light went off. It's like wow, we we have so much control over mm -hmm. the end product now. And uh, so that's a thr that's a thrill for us to um, because you know even you can do all the fabrication you want, and if and if there isn't like just perfect communication with the general contractor you may have a wall that you're going to put art on and all of a sudden a horn and strobe will just get installed the horn and strobe is like something an emergency yeah, flasher thing that'll oh. be right where you're going to put your art and, and uh you know it's once it's in it's hard to move right and, and you have so much more control than to ensure from start to finish yeah. that design is carried out right right to the end and so we've been doing that a lot more and it's uh it's super uh satisfying and exciting uh, but we uh, we probably didn't anticipate the other thing that it did because honestly even to this day we're 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 only building a a, a, a fraction of what we're designing mm -hmm. because we just simply we, we have a, a fairly small construction side although it's growing uh, but we still nowhere near uh, big enough to design all the things that we're doing so we end up working with a lot of contractors anyway mm -hmm. um, and what we found is that we have such a better understanding of what they go through 
with sequencing and management and phasing and detailing and all these things. I mean, it's made us just better architects because we're so much more uh, in touch, you know, with the construction side versus just drawing up a design and hand it over, yeah, roll the drawings and kind of visiting every week or two. Sure. I mean, well, you mentioned how busy you are. And as we kind of walked back here to this conference room, I was able to look at a lot of the upcoming projects you have. Are there a few you can share with us that you guys are excited that you're working on right now? Oh, yeah. Well, there's uh, there's always a lot. Um, there's, uh, I mean, Bull Rush uh, is, is my own personal little... Uh, yeah, so tell, for people who aren't as familiar and maybe aren't as into the restaurant scene, talk to us a little bit about that because that sounds exciting. Yeah, Bull Rush. Uh, so he's when uh, when Rob came in town two years ago. Now mm-hmm. he had, uh, I think he had a little pop up dinner and he was signing books, and so my wife and I went to it and. And uh, we talked to him for a while, and I talked to him about his concept, about how he was going to have this, where he was going to cook in the middle, and he was going to have, you know, a limited, like, 20, 24 seats around, and he would be talking and serving people. And I was like, and he had lots of ideas on that, and I was like, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't done one like that, and that sounds really cool. I mean, because you love it when a, when a, when a client comes to you and they have a strong concept already because mm-hmm. you can you can then build off that concept you don't have to like start with a blank canvas you you've got this starting point where this you know chef or client whoever he, he is has this very clear picture of what they want to do and that helps us mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's been like the past two years he's been looking for spaces and, and uh, you now know, we've been staying in touch and now it's finally here and uh we're you know we're we're starting construction of it we have uh, fabrication a lot of fabrication on the project and uh, we've started on that in the mm-hmm. shop but uh um that that's one that i'm excited about uh um, i mentioned the wind warehouse uh that's just about finished with, with construction that's a non-profit um warehouse that like they they sell um hardware and equipment type things but they sell them to other nonprofits for like a fra- like home okay. depot gives them at, oh. at, at like and where's that pennies on the dollar so that's on the north uh, that's on the on kind of the north side over here and uh they are going literally from the 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 head of that company was working in the basement of a walk-in cooler. I'm not exaggerating. Wow. That was the existing conditions. That, so these guys are like salt of the earth. They, they write down, you know, with their product and with the people that are coming in. And uh, uh, now their facility is, is going to be amazing. And it isn't amazing because they had a huge budget. It's just been amazing because they've been great clients to work with. Mm-hmm. They've been super open-minded. And, and we've got this really exciting design um, that um, – you know, I can't wait till it's finished in the next week. Um, you know, we're doing some um, a lot of work with Cranberg Arts Foundation, which nice. I mean, they're just amazing uh, people to work with for one uh, because uh, they are really out to improve the culture of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're they're uh, they're trying to. We're working with them um, over in South St. Louis, uh, Fox Park areas, and where um, we're trying to create like an artist uh, enclave where it's affordable housing for artists. We're not, it's it's not necessarily an apartment that they're going to live in for three months until they move to New York. And it's a place that they can actually purchase. And it's like, it's not subsidized. I'm I'm not going to explain it carefully or I'm not going to explain it correctly. So I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's basically making it so it's home ownership is possible. And these are places, because I I did a story on it a while back and 
I mean, these are basically crumbling structures down in an area where, um, you know, having a street then full of studios slash apartments that artists can live in does wonders for that whole neighborhood, which is something that, you know, we talked about earlier is that you want to make an impact with your work. Mm I mean, when you get to see that, I mean, whether it's here in the Grove, um, how things have changed in the 10 years since you've moved in here or other neighborhoods where you've helped design something Mm -hmm. and then watch the neighborhood bloom. Right. Yeah. I mean, mean, those are obviously the most fulfilling projects that we have. And uh, the the project with the um, over in Fox Park. uh, it, it's we did a tour where we walked all through the neighborhoods and we and we were looking at these buildings uh, that uh, many of were near collapse some of them had collapse uh, but we identified the buildings that you know okay that's a teardown mm-hmm. no saving that structure but these two here uh, can be saved and uh, so it was just it was so exciting to, to be able to, and we're talking like 30 buildings you know that uh, that are all under study and um, you know could be improved that's going to make an impact in, in an area of just a few blocks you improve that many buildings that's a game changer you know I believe and, and then when you get the artists coming in here that's going to create a culture around mm-hmm. that neighborhood uh, it's going to be pretty exciting to watch We've got a lot of great episodes coming up in the next few weeks here on the Meet St. Louis podcast. We're going to take you to a popular brunch spot in the middle of a strip mall down in South County. We're also going to take you inside the incredible renovation of one of St. Louis's most historic buildings and the transformation into a beautiful new hotel. So definitely make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you know when the latest episodes are dropping. We always want to hear from you. We want to know who you want to meet on this podcast. Who do you wish you could sit down and have a conversation with? Let us know on social media. You can find me at Alexis Zotos on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, if you like this episode, leave us a review, give us some stars. We always appreciate it. This episode was produced and edited by JJ Bailey.